Amen. Lord, we just praise you and worship and magnify your most holy name. We stand in awe and reverence of who you are. We thank you, Lord, for the promise in your word that, Lord, as we gather together, it's, we're gathering around your throne. Lord, we, you hear our voices, and, Lord, our praise is the sweet aroma in your presence. And, Lord, we're in awe of that. We feel so unworthy. But Lord, we thank you for the grace and the mercy that you've poured out upon us. May you be glorified in everything that happens here tonight. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak. And Lord, that it wouldn't be the opinions of men, but the word of God. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It is absolutely great to have you here. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 30. We continue our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. We'll be in 2 Peter chapter 2 on Sunday morning in our New Testament study, so let me encourage you to read ahead. Uh, Last night, I got a call, and I want you to be praying. Uh, There's a family in our church, and uh, Patrick and Susanna Pinkston, maybe you don't know them, you might want to look them up in the directory, Uh, but we got a call last night that... Uh, they've been caring for their great aunt, and their great aunt, who had had cancer for a long time, uh, went to be with the Lord, and praise God for that. But what, what's uh, you know, heavy is that, I'm not sure the exact timing, but literally like within a half an hour or an hour later, her husband died. And uh, Patrick is, was only 55, came to church here faithfully, a real soft-spoken guy, you might want to but just be praying for Susanna with her great aunt and her husband literally dying like within an hour of each other. Now here's the good news. God is faithful. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we do grieve, but we do not grieve as those without hope. Amen? But be praying, please. Just, and may we be a source of encouragement to her. Amen? Let's take a moment. Let's pray for her right now. Heavenly Father, we lift up Susanna to you. And we just thank you that she loves you, that she knows you. We thank you, Lord, that she's not going through this alone right now. And Father, I do pray and ask in Jesus' name that you would pour out your spirit upon her. Lord, that you'd give her that peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, even when we don't understand, to have peace to know that you're faithful. So Lord, may you comfort her. And Lord, I pray for for us as her church body, as her family in the Lord. Father, that we would be the arms that would hug her and encourage her and hold her up. Lord, that it would be our lips that would be speaking words of encouragement to her. Father, we thank you for the promises in your word that we need not pray for Patrick, Lord. He's in your presence. We thank you for that, that he knew you, that he's your son. And Father, we just praise you for that. We'll see him again. But Lord, we do pray for comfort for the family. Lord, may you be glorified in and even through this. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Genesis chapter 30. In the past few weeks, several weeks actually, we've been looking at the life of Jacob, a man chosen by God before his birth, and yet given an unflattering name that really describes him at least early on. Chosen by God, even though he's the younger brother, to be the one who would have the birthright and the blessing of God, but named deceiver or heel catcher, because when he came out of the womb, he was fighting with his brother Esau. Esau means hairy. So you have hairy and the heel catcher, right? And the two of them are battling with each other. And we see that, you know, Jacob lives up to his name. Jacob, though chosen by God, he had God's promises. 
And he's an enigma in many ways, but you know what? So are we, aren't we? But he's really an enigma in that he's chosen by God. He has all of God's promises. And then he deceives his brother when he's hungry and gets him to give him the birthright that was already his for a bowl of soup. Then not only does he you know, find and tempt his brother when he's hungry, he deceives his father when his eyesight is failing. And guys, the end, the, you know, the ends does not justify the means. You know, God's plan was always that he would have the birthright and he would have the blessing. But now he deceives his father and he deceives his brother. And he's living up to his name as the heel catcher and deceiver. He's a manipulator and a deceiver. And in this case, in yours and ours today, it's ultimately a reflection of our lack of faith in God's promises. Why do we manipulate a situation? Because we don't trust God to take care of it. Why do we deceive people? Because we don't trust God, again, to provide for us. I'm going to lie in my taxes because God's promises to provide. I'm going to pad my hours at work because God has promised to provide. Those things don't go together. And neither does trusting in the promises of God and then deceiving people to get what God has promised you. And that's exactly what Jacob has done. This you know, father of the faith, if you will. You know, Abraham, father Abraham. But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, revered even today by the Jewish people, revered by us, a man used mightily by God, but praise God in a sense that he does not hide the frailties of his heroes in Scripture. Because it's a word of encouragement to all of us that while we too may be, and we are at times, an enigma, in that we say one thing and live another, God can still use us. And God is still going to use this man Jacob. We need to fully trust God and his promises instead of trying to manipulate our circumstances to bring what God has already promised. Again, we're not to try to justify the, the, the means by the ends, by the end result. You know, it happens today even in churches. You'll see people on TV, just recently another guy got busted for making false claims of healings so that then people would hear his message. If he's healing people, then maybe they'll hear his message and if they hear his message, they'll get saved. God doesn't need us to fake anything for his message to go out with power. He doesn't need us to pretend or mock or do things like that. God is great enough to do it without us being deceitful. Deception is always found out and then God's name is mocked. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's trusting God even when it doesn't seem like it's possible. You know what, guys? That's the best. When it doesn't seem like it's possible, the Red Sea rocks. Amen? You know, backed up, Red Sea, shrouded on both sides, enemy coming, man, we're in trouble. And then God shows up. And I just love being backed in a corner sometimes because sometimes that's when we get to see God move in the most mighty and powerful way. So what's the end result? Did he get his father's blessing like God had promised? Yes, but you know what? He had consequences. He had to run for his life. Because his brother Esau said, as soon as my dad dies, I'm killing my brother. I'm going to kill him. Why? Because he's a deceiver. Boy, he's a man of his name. And the sad part is that he has to flee, and he goes again, as we know, they send him out to go find a bride among his people. But he never sees his mother again. His mother, who had you know, been a part of the plan to deceive the father, and so now he goes out, and, and he's along his way. We see a great thing happen to Jacob. Jacob has a run-in with the Lord. 
You remember he's running for his life in a sense, and he's so exhausted out in the desert as he's heading hundreds of miles to go find his bride that he falls asleep on a rock. But as he's sleeping, he has a dream. And God comes to him in the dream, and he sees a ladder that the angels are ascending and descending from heaven. And God's word to us would be this, that we're not in this life alone, that God's hand is upon us. For you and I, the Spirit lives in us, and God is always watching over us. And so the word of encouragement as Jacob's about to go out, as Jacob is fleeing for his life, is God is, even though you've been faithless, God is faithful. Even though you've blown it, Jacob, I'm still going to do great things through you. And he reaffirms, even after what he had just done, God reaffirms to him his covenant. Let me remind you of all the promises I have for you, Jacob. You know what? Your descendants are going to number more than the dust on the earth. You're going to be blessed. You're going to inhabit this land. My hand is upon you. And at that point, Jacob makes a vow to God. And he builds an altar. He calls it Bethel, house of God. And he builds that altar there. There'll be a constant reminder of the covenant between him and the Lord. And so then he travels on and he goes and when he finally sees his wife, if you remember how God directs him right to his bride, she comes up and he sees her and she is beautiful of form and appearance, the Bible says. And he sees her and he kisses her and he weeps. And it was not a a passionate kiss, but it was a kiss of a relative. And we know this story that he goes to her father and he says, I'll give you seven years for Rachel. Now, a dowry in those days, a year or a year and a half would have been a long time. This shows an incredible amount of love. But you know what? That deceiver, who though he has a new vow, you know, reaffirmed his vow with the Lord, the deceiver's about to get a taste of his own medicine as he's about to be deceived. Because if you remember what happens, he works the full seven years and it seemed to him at like seven days, like no time at all. And then they finally have the wedding feast and he goes in with his, with his bride who comes in veiled in the darkness of night and he wakes up in the morning and it's not beautiful of form Rachel, but it's weak-eyed Leah. Poor Leah. But she had delicate eyes and she was not as pretty and she was unloved and And boy, you talk about being deceived. Can you imagine working seven years, seven times longer than the normal time for a dowry, and you wake up and you get the not-as-pretty older sister? And in those days, no turning back, you're married. Game over, you're married, that's it. And then Jacob's like, what have you done to me? And his father-in-law says, well, our tradition is the older sister's got to get married first. The ends don't justify the means, do they? Oh, wait a minute. I just did the same thing to my dad. You know, isn't it interesting? I, we talked about this. I won't go into all of them. But isn't it interesting that he, he tricked his father by pretending to be the older brother, and then he gets tricked by his father-in-law who sends in his sister pretending to be the younger sister? Isn't it interesting that he is fooled in the darkness of night when he fools his father and when his eyes are failing? Guys, nothing happens by chance. He's getting a taste of his own medicine in a sense. But then he says, okay, I'll work for Rachel seven more years. But he's given Rachel right away. Now he has two wives. That's a problem. We saw it last week. You don't want two. No man should have more than one. Amen? One is plenty. And so he has two wives and they become rivals and they start fighting with each other. Remember this, that Leah was able to have children, but Rachel was barren. Rachel had the love of her husband, but couldn't have the children. And Leah had the children, but didn't have the love of her husband. And so this competition began between the two women. And no man can love two women equally. That's a lie. 
I hear guys say that, well, I'm in love with two women. No, you're not. You're not in love with either one of them. I said this last week. Guys, don't let anybody tell you. That's a lie. So here's what happens. The competition begins, and, and Leah starts having children, and she thinks she's going to earn the love of her husband, and she has one child, two child, four sons, and each son she names. See, I have a son, and look, he'll dwell with me now, and she keeps naming her children, thinking eventually her husband's going to love her. Now Rachel, unable to have children, tells her husband, you give me children or else I die. And as I said last week, you know, that's a tough ultimatum to put on your husband. And we should never do that. Don't, we don't need to be looking to our spouse to satisfy the need. We must be looking to the Lord. So she looks to her husband. He says, what am I? What am I? I I'm not God. I can't open your womb. And so she says, okay, I have a better idea. Why don't you sleep with my maidservant? You got two wives, it's a total headache, how about three? How about that? Let's just make this problem even worse. And so we don't see Jacob objecting. As I said before, he was having sex with one woman he didn't love, why not two? Because he doesn't love Leah, and now he doesn't love this other woman, and now he's got children by both of them, and Rachel thinks, hey, we're in a children race. So now it's four, and her maidservant has two, and so... Leah, seeing she's not having any more kids, brings her maidservant. Jacob, what are you doing? Okay, four wives. And now he has a couple more children. Now it's six to two in the baby race. And Rachel, of course, cries out for the mandrakes. Remember that? He comes out with something they believe would produce fertility. So she says, you know, my son Reuben brought me mandrakes, so let me have some of your mandrakes. Oh, well, you won't even let me have your husband. I'll tell you what. My husband can sleep with you tonight if you give me the mandrakes. I mean, Jacob's being traded around like I don't know what. So they come home, and you know what? She, Jacob goes and sleeps with Leah again. Guess what? Another child. Rachel's sitting there going, what is happening? Eventually, we get to the end of the story, and finally, when Rachel stops striving in the flesh, and she cries out to the Lord, she has a son, and she names him Joseph. And I want to mention one other thing that we'll look at tonight's text. Leah had two, many, you know, she had six sons, but two of her sons, two of her sons, Levi, through whom the priest came, and Judah, which means praise, would be the fort, would be through that line would come Jesus Christ. So it's the unloved wife that God does great things through. Sometimes we feel unloved. Sometimes we feel like we don't amount to much. God loves you. And he's a faithful heavenly father. And even if your husband or your spouse is not fulfilling, you know, that thing that you desire, God will. And he's faithful. And you look to him. Amen? So that's how the chapter ended. And we, we end the chapter. We've got 11 sons and one daughter and four wives. This is a big family. And we've come to the end of the commitment between Jacob and Laban, his father-in-law. He had given him seven years. He had promised him seven more. We're now at the 14-year mark. And now we're going to see another interaction between the deceiver and the one who took him to school on deception, his father-in-law, Laban. So I titled the message tonight, if you're a note-taker, A Godly Man in the Workplace. And certainly this would apply, of course, to a godly woman as well. But in this case, a godly man in the workplace. And let me give you some points we'll look at tonight. A godly man in the workplace, his actions bring glory to God's name. If we are going to act godly in the workplace, 
Our actions will bring glory to God's name. Number two, he points to the Lord as the source of his work's fruitfulness. Someone who's walking with the Lord will never take credit for what God has done. Though we're tempted to do it sometimes, aren't we? Almost always. Someone will tell you how wonderful you're doing and you, yes, I am pretty wonderful, aren't I? And you might not say that out loud, but there's a temptation. But if we're walking with the Lord, we'll point to the Lord as the source. Number three, he works hard and trusts God to provide. He works hard and trusts God to provide. Number four, his boss doesn't always treat him fairly. Ooh, I didn't know that. I thought if I was walking with God, it was going to be the cruise ship to heaven. I thought I was never going to hit another bump ever again the rest of my life. You're kidding me. You mean if I walk with God and I'm serving him faithfully, that I might actually have people mistreat me? Yes. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake, for so they did the prophets who went before you. Guys, don't be surprised when the world doesn't like it when you stand up for God. And then finally, God is faithful to provide. So let's begin in verse 25. A godly man in the workplace. His actions bring glory to God's name. Again, we've set this where we are. Rachel's just finally had her son. She names him Joseph, which means, you know, God will add. God will give me another son, and God will give her another son. But amazingly, she had said, unless I have a son, I will die. And she's going to die in childbirth, giving birth to her second son. But let's begin here. His actions bring glory to God's name. And it came to pass, verse 25, when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Jacob had fulfilled his commitment to Laban. His 14 years were up. Now remember this. He has worked 14 years for no pay. He has basically worked 14 years for room and board, if you will. A place to sleep and food for his family. And that's been his pay for 14 years. But what I love about this picture here, that even though Jacob, we've seen him blow it, he's married to four women, bad play, what are you doing? But we'll notice that God still you know, is, is using this man, is still working in his life. And Jacob, at the end of 14 years, has not forgotten God's promise. God's promise was he was going to give him the land of Canaan. God's promise was that his family was going to flourish in Canaan. That his descendants would number as the dust of the earth. And so the 14 years are up. He hasn't grown complacent in a, in a foreign land. But in the midst of all of it, his eyes were still toward the promises of God and going back to what God had for him. Notice what he calls Canaan, my country. He's been in Haran 14 years, but Haran is not his home. While time had passed, circumstances had changed, he had a large family, everybody but him was from there. He was the only one that wasn't from there. But he hadn't forgot the promise of God. He hadn't forgotten the ladder that ascended and descended. He hadn't forgotten what God had said to him. He said in Genesis 28, Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done as I have spoken to you. God had promised. He believed him. And now the time is up, and he's saying, My time is done here. I want to go. And notice, he doesn't ask for anything. I just want my family and to go. Guys, here's the 
application for you and I. You and I must not get so comfortable in this foreign land that we lose sight of God's promises and where our home really is. Guys, our home is not here. We're foreigners in this world just like Jacob was a foreigner in Haran. Heaven is our home. And until we get there, we ought to not be hanging on so tightly. We need to be living in light of the promises before us. Jacob, no doubt, 14 years there, faithfully serving, but ever mindful of God's promise that was before him. He didn't sink his roots too deep because he knew he was not staying there for long. Guys, our, de- our roots should not be too deep in this world because we're not staying here for long. None of us have the promise of tomorrow. Nobody. But praise God, we have a promise that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Let me go. Send me away. He wants his permission and his blessing. Look, I faithfully served you 14 years, a dowry that two years would have been sufficient. He had given him 14 years. Even though he had been deceived, even though he had been tricked, he still was faithful for 14 years. And at the end of it, all he asked for was let me take my family and leave. You know, God is always faithful to his promises, even though our family, our bosses, aren't always so faithful. His boss, his father-in-law had tricked him. His father-in-law had deceived him. God never ceased to be in control. Guys, no matter what you're going on, at, going on with you at work, no matter what circumstances you have in your family right now, God's not surprised. And God knew it was coming, and God has allowed you to be there for a reason, so let's let God be glorified in the midst of it. Let's remain faithful and not turn to the right or to the left or complain or murmur. Verse 26, give me my wives, so many problems with that, but give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, and let me go, for you know my service which I have done for you. He asked for nothing more than his wives and his children. Wives. But he trusted that God would provide for his family. You notice he doesn't say, give me my wives and my children and enough food for the 500 mile journey back to the land of promise. He simply says, give me what I have served you for. He trusts that God is going to provide for him as he travels back home. He was deceived by men but he still trusted in God. Guys, don't confuse man's deception with God's faithfulness. He'd been deceived by his father-in-law, but it didn't make God any less faithful, amen? Your boss may lie to you. Somebody may, may not pay you what they agreed to pay you. Somebody might you know, offer you a, a job and not give you the promotion you thought you were getting, and all those kinds of things may happen all around you. People can lie to you and deceive you, but just remember, God's promises are still sure. He had told Jacob, I'm not going to leave you until I bring you back to this land. I'm with you, my hand's on you, it's not going to change. God would tell us the same thing tonight. Whatever you're going through, I'm not going to leave you, I'm faithful. Man will fail us, God never will. What, a, what encouragement. You know what, your boss could be the biggest jerk ever. Ever. We probably have a debate over who's got the biggest jerk of a boss in here. But here's the point. We need to remember that just like Jacob was brought there to be with Laban by God for a reason, God put you where you are working for your boss for a reason. And God has called you to be salt and light. And God has called you not to overcome evil with evil, but to overcome evil with good. 
God's called us to be the one who would have the impact and to, instead of being a, a, you know, a thermometer, what is the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat? A thermometer reflects its environment and a thermostat changes it. Amen? May we not just reflect what's going on around us, may we change it by living sold out for God and shining brightly for him. And so here's Jacob and his dad. This is his father-in-law. 14 years I've served you. I just want my family. Can I just take my family and go? And then he says, For you know my service, which I have done for you. Though his service for Laban was hard, and he had cheated and deceived him, deceived him Jacob honestly performed his commitment. You know, how many of us, don't say it out loud, but think in your mind, how many of you could go before your boss and say, for you know the service that I've performed for you. I have honored God in the way I've done my job. Can I tell you that we don't go witnessing as much as we are witnesses everywhere we go? Amen? Going witnessing is good, but being witnesses all the time is what we're called to be. And when you leave this building, you'll see it on the signs, you are now entering your mission field. And when we leave this place, and when we go to work, and we step on the, you know, that step right onto where we work, when we come onto that job site, or walk into that store, or that school where we are, as soon as we get there, we are representing the Lord. The way we do our job ought to bring honor to his name. Lord, help us that we could say, as Jacob has said, you know the work that I've done for you. You know that I've honored God. I've been faithful. I've been a servant, not someone who shirks his responsibility. A godly man, though he swears to his own harm, will honor his word. Even if you have made a commitment and it's going to cause you harm, you be faithful. Amen? We need to be men and women of our word. And though others may have deceived us, we do not justify our behavior by deceiving them. And the world is, that is so quick to make excuses and go back on its promises, may you and I be found faithful. We ought to be the best workers in the building. Amen? Amen. Instead of taking a 65-minute lunch, take a 45-minute lunch. Come in 10 minutes early, stay 10 minutes late, and bust your tail while you're there, and honor God with your actions and your attitude that God might be glorified, so that when you do get to witness to somebody, they might say, if what he believes make him lives the way he lives, then I, there must be something to it. May they look and say, you know what? His actions, her actions reflected something is different about them. That's the way Jacob could stay before his father-in-law. He deceived me, but I honored God with the way that I did my job. Lord, help us to have that same heart. Verse 27. And Laban said to him, please stay. Yeah, 14 years of free labor. I'm thinking, yeah, stay a little while longer. Now, some have said he wants him to stay because he's going to miss his kids and grandkids. I don't think so much. I mean, that might be a part of it. I'm not going to say the guy is totally, no, but I think he's got one thing in mind. And we're going to see it as we continue on to the verses. Please stay if I have found favor in your eyes. For I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Laban, as we're going to find out in coming chapters, is an idol worshiper. Laban, though he is related to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he certainly knew about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he knew of Jehovah. He even says, I know by experience, I know that the reason I'm blessed by God is for your sake, because you're here, we're blessed. And an idol worshiper is saying that. 
Guys, this shows what a powerful testimony working hard and honoring God can be in a workplace. That even those who reject the truth will have to look and say, there's something about that person. That person being here is a blessing to our whole company. That That person walking in the doors transforms everything that happens here. We need to pray that that would be so. Amen? That we could go into an environment and literally the spirit of the living God dwells within us. I've said this before. You know, when the children of Israel were quaking at David and Goliath, when Goliath was coming down, right? And the David shows up and David sees him. You know what happened? The Holy Spirit entered the camp. And all of a sudden, for the first time, somebody saw through God's eyes and was willing to go fight the battle. Guys, when you go to work, if you're the only believer there, when you show up, the Holy Spirit enters your job place. The Holy Spirit comes into your school, your neighborhood, wherever you're going. And may the Lord be glorified. He knew of Jehovah. He had been taught the truth, had become an idol worshiper. It's interesting, that word there, experience. It means to practice divination, to observe signs. You know, some believe that he learned because he was of the, you know, into the occult in a sense, and he was one to go look at tea leaves or whatever, that he had learned that the reason the blessing was there was even through this ungodly you know, source. But guys, here's the good news. No matter where people look, no matter where people turn, if God is using you in the end, he's going to be glorified if we'll just let him. And we see here Jacob being faithful. God's blessing is upon him. His faithful service, even after he had been deceived, caused even a deceiving idol worshiper who had walked away from the truth to openly acknowledge that the Lord through Jacob was the source of his blessing. Wow. Those 14 years of work that may have seemed like nothing for him. God was really doing something, wasn't he? Sometimes for you, you may think you're serving in anonymity. Maybe nobody's really noticing. But know this, that as you are there, God is using you. As you honor the Lord with your actions and your attitude, God is using you. May it be said of us where we work that we are the best workers. We have the best attitude. We have a godly testimony that we are salt and light of the place, even if we have a deceiving boss. You know, years ago, it was, you know, back when my dad was the pastor of Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz, one of his assistant pastors was a guy by the name of Steve Gregg. He's on the radio every day. But Steve, I worked at 7-Eleven down on Branson 40 and Water. It's now DJ's Mini Mart. And when I was 19, and I remember him coming into that place. And I didn't have a youth, pastors in those da- a youth pastor in those days because our church didn't really have a lot of teenagers. It was a younger church. And he came into that place, and I remember him st- coming to the counter with a Coke or whatever he was buying, and he said, you know what? I didn't know you worked here, Dave. Dave, do you know that you are the salt and the light of this place? And I remember as a 19-year-old kid, kind of, whoa, really? I better start shining brighter, Amen. I better be a little more salty then. But, you know, I thought, you know, so true, and it stuck with me. It really did stick with me. We need to remember tomorrow when we go to work, we're the salt and light of that place. That God is in us. He wants to work through us. And it's not because we're able. It's because we're available. God's just looking for those who are willing to be used by him in a mighty and a powerful way. And by the way, I met my wife there, so oh, thank heaven for 7-Eleven, right? 
So here's a man called into ministry, and he's faithful at work. Called into ministry and faithful at work. I, I, you know what? I don't see one example in the Bible, and certainly not one example here, of men who are unfaithful at work who are called into ministry. David, faithful shepherd. Moses, faithful shepherd. Peter, faithful fisherman. Elisha, plowing behind the oxen. You never see an idle, lazy man called into ministry. But often, I get people come to me and say, you know, I lost my job six months ago. I've been kind of laying around watching TV. Maybe I'm called to be in the ministry. I can tell you right now, no. Not so much. Not interested. Lazy man, not called. Because a man who's called won't be lazy. Amen? A man who's called will be faithful whether anybody ever recognizes his calling or not. And so we see this example that a called man is a faithful man. He's not a lazy man. He's a diligent man. He's a hard-working man. Jacob, we've seen he's a deceiver. He's been up and down in his walk. He's got four wives. But he's a faithful worker and a godly example and a picture for us that even when we've blown it, God is faithful. Godly men and women are a blessing to their workplaces. And you know what, guys? Can I encourage you that if you don't like your job, pray that God will change your heart. Pray that God will change your heart. That you will go to work with an attitude of, I'm blessed to be here because you are if God provided it for you. Amen? We should not be murmuring and complaining and whining and moaning. Got a guy in our office that, I mean, it doesn't matter what happens. Ain't it awful? A guy in the office just referred to me and goes, that guy's such a joy. (laughs) I thought, boy, isn't that true? But you know what? The truth is this. As believers, may it never be said of us. May they say, wow. It doesn't matter what happens. You know why? Because our source of joy is not our income or our position or how well you know, we're regarded at work. Our joy comes from the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it ought to be pouring out of us no matter what's happening around us. And here's Jacob, deceived by his own father-in-law, tricked, given an, you know, the older sister working 14 years for nothing and still a godly example to the point where he says, please don't leave. Can you stay? As believers, anytime we leave, that ought to be our boss's response. Please don't leave. It says in, Col- in Colossians 3, Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. We don't serve our boss only when he's looking. We ought to be the best worker when he's not even around. And that's the exhortation. So a godly man in the workplace, his actions bring glory to God's name. Because what did his boss say? His boss said, I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. It's because you're here that God has blessed me. It's because you work here that God has blessed us. 
You know what? I even thought about this as I was studying. I've been praying because there's a couple people in my office that have asked me to go on sales calls. I'm just going to pray that God would just bless their socks off just so they'll know that God showed up. Who cares about the stuff? Who cares about the results? But that God would be glorified. Lord, do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Point number two, he points to the Lord as the source of his work's fruitfulness. Look what it says in verse 28. Now this is Laban speaking. Then he said, name me your wages and I will give it. I want you to stay, so tell me how much I should pay you and I'll give it to you. Laban didn't want to lose Jacob and the fruitfulness of his presence upon his household. And again, I pray that our bosses would feel the same about us. But Laban's motives, we're going to see, are purely selfish. He wants Jacob to stay, so he will be blessed. And again, his seemingly generous offer was really a ploy to take advantage of Jacob's honesty and good nature. Notice he doesn't, you would think at this point, he would just be giving him some wages. It's been 14 years. After 14 years, you ought to say, you know what? You worked hard for me for 14 years. I know you did it for my daughters. You're my son-in-law. You're my family. Here, let me just bless you. Instead, he says, well, tell me what you want, and I'll give it to you. Again, because he knows the heart of Jacob. Jacob is a humble man in some cases, and certainly in this way that he does not going to ask more than likely for too much. Not only that, we know that whatever he asks for, there's a good chance that his deceiving father-in-law is going to deceive him again, right? And we're going to find that indeed he's going to change his wages many times over. So name your wages. I'll give it to you. Please don't leave. I'll pay whatever's necessary. Verse 29. So Jacob said to him, you know how I served you and how your livestock has been with me? For what you had before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount. Now take note. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now when shall I also provide for my own house? Laban, Laban says, name your wages, and he doesn't begin to speak about how, what a great guy he is, and what a blessing he's been, and what he deserves. Lord forbid that we never march into our boss and demand what we deserve. Uh, you know, I don't know about you, I don't want what I deserve. What do we deserve? Hellfire. Thinking no, don't want that. I don't want what I deserve, I want grace, amen? amen. And so we see here instead, Jacob speaking to his father-in-law who just deceived him. He's served him 14 years for nothing, asked for the wages, he then gives glory to God for the blessings that have come. He says very clearly, it's the Lord who did it. Guys, when you do a great job at work and your boss comes to praise you and tell you how blessed he is to have you, that is your opportunity to point him to Jesus Christ. That is your opportunity to give God the glory and the praise and the honor. Don't look at me, look at him, amen? Thank you, but you know what? It's the Lord in me. It's only because of him. If it wasn't for him, I'd be the worst worker in the building. Praise him. Amen? Give him the glory. Jacob, though he had been faithful and hardworking, pointed Laban to the Lord. Truly humble servant, seek not to pray the praise of men, but the glory of God. And Jacob been a blessing to Laban, and now he glorifies the Lord in the fruitfulness of his work. But then he says something at the end there. And now, when shall I also provide for my own house? He'd been faithful serving, but had no wages. And it's important to note that 
he still needed to provide for his household. You know, charitably serving others and glorifying God is wonderful, and God would have us do that. But like Jacob, he must also be faithful to provide for his family. It says in 1 Timothy, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Woe. The Bible says a man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. Guys, there's an epidemic of laziness going through the church today. Amen? Too many lazy men and too many men who are bags of excuses. Pastor Dave preaching it, but there it is. Oh, but my thing, and I got this problem. I'm like, Stop it already. If you can get up and sit up, you can work. Amen? It's time for us to stop making excuses and start honoring the Lord. Amen? God promises to provide, and he's given you hands, he's given you feet, he's given you a mind. God's not providing, though. No, you're lazy. Amen? Too much. It seemed like I came out of left field. I'm sorry, but it's true. Worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? That's the word of God. And Jacob is saying, look, to God be all the glory. God's going to provide for me. I've asked for no wages from you, but I have nothing for my family. Now, he had asked for nothing initially. He was willing to leave and trust God to provide for him. But guys, we need to be neither foolish nor faithless. We need to be willing to step out in faith, but we also need to count the cost, the Bible says. And sometimes people will step out in faith, but never seek the Lord and never count the cost. And so here he is saying, you know what? I need to be able to provide for my family. A godly man in the workplace, his actions bring glory to God's name. He points to the Lord as the source of his work's faithfulness. And then he works hard and trusts God to provide. Look at verse 31. So he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Jacob didn't want him to give anything. He had learned that God would provide all that he wanted him to have, and instead he left the providence of what God was going to give him in God's hands, as we're about to see. He says, don't give me anything, let me work. And then let the fruit of my work be my wages. And I love, what a great heart. Well, that'd be a great platform politically today, wouldn't it? Let my, the fruit of my work be my wages. And that's exactly what he's asking for. Trusting that God has already promised to provide for him. He didn't want to be indebted to the deceiving father-in-law. And again, instead, he wanted to trust the Lord. His father-in-law was a self-seeking, deceptive, ungodly, idol-worshipping schemer. And instead, he said, you know what? How about this? Let's just let the fruit of my labor, let's just let God decide is what he's really about to say. Then he's, so he's going to keep my flocks. Hey, that sounds like a good deal. Laban's like, hey, I just want him to stay. And he's willing to postpone his time home so that for now, after 14 years of working, he's actually going to do something to build up something for his family. He's worked 14 years for nothing but, you know, food and clothing on their backs. They got a 500-mile journey in front of them. They're going to go back to Canaan. And you know what? Here's an opportunity. This is God's provision. And so let God be the one who decides. Verse 32, 
Now watch what he asks for, and, and Laban's going to think, boy, I got this guy. Look what it says. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep, and all the brown ones among the lambs, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and these will be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in a time to come. When the subject of my wages comes before you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. Here's what he says. I'm not going to take anything that you currently have. Let me go through and, you know, let me just take the, the, the few and the rare and the, the ones that are less likely to be born, the ones that are considered often to be less in your eyes. You keep the solid colored ones. You keep the majority of them. And I'll just take the ones with the recessive gene that don't happen as often. And you know what? You'll be able to know which flock is mine and which flock is yours because you'll have the perfect ones that are, have the perfect color. And I'll just take the secondary ones. Well, this doesn't sound like he's a very good negotiator, does it? Dude, you could do better than that. 14 years of working. Come on. But you know what he's doing? He's going to put it in God's hands. We know in Genesis 31, we'll see it next week, he had a dream. And in his dream, he saw the speckled and the spotted and the brown. And he saw them leaping and moving and he realized this is going to be God's provision for me. So he took what God had showed him and he went directly to his, to his father-in-law who was the deceiver and just said, give me that. Just give me what God has promised me. Give me what God said he's going to provide for me. We're going to see that the deceiver is not done yet in the way that he treats his son-in-law. You know, it's interesting too. Some believe that in Canaan, these were the preferred animals the spotted and the speckled and the brown lamb. Several commentators said they believed, it's believed they were the, the preferred. It says in Amos 1.1, the word there of shepherds is a word that is used for speckled. So it's kind of, if that's true, you know what that reminds me of? That Abraham and Lot, Lot was looking at the world from the world's perspective and Abraham was looking at it, at it from a godly one when he said, you pick whichever side you want, I'll take the other way. And here we have the same thing in a sense happening with Jacob. He's saying, you know what, what's good to you in the world is not what is good to us. I will take what is better from an eternal perspective. I'll take what is better in the land of promise, in the land of Canaan, over that which is temporary here. Guys, our focus needs to be on that which is heavenly, that which is going to outlast this life, as opposed to that which is temporary here and now. And look what Laban says. He thinks, are you kidding me? And Laban says, oh, that it were according to your word. Are you kidding me? Can he be that stupid? He wants the spotted, the speckled, and the brown. There aren't very many of those. Okay, at your word. But you know what? He's going to change. He says, at your word, and then he's going to change this agreement numerous times. He says he's going to be a man of his word, but he's not going to be. What a great father-in-law. He's trying to get over on his son-in-law. I thought about this. I've got a son-in-law. I can't imagine Kevin working for me 14 years and then me trying to rip him off afterward. What kind of father-in-law is that? Not a good one, amen? Laban, trying to get over on his son-in-law. Jacob, trusting God. Who do you think is going to come out ahead? Look at verse 35. Next point, a godly man in the workplace. His boss doesn't always treat him fairly. 
Look what it says in verse 35 and 36. It says, So he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had some white in it, all the brown ones among the lambs, and gave them into the hands of his sons. Then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of, the, of Laban's flocks. He says, okay, you can have the spotted and the brown and the speckled, and here's what I'm going to do. Boys, run out and get all of those out of our flock. Because if they mate with uh, solid ones, they might produce a spotted or a speckled. So why don't you get them and go three days away from here. And then he's going to have to use only the solid colored animals. And between two you know, of the more uh, powerful genes, produce a recessive one. He's ripping his son-in-law off already. Take this stuff as far away from here. And you know what? Have you ever noticed that people that are deceivers trust no one? People that deceive others trust no one. Jacob has done nothing to deceive his father-in-law. All he's done is faithfully served. But he sends them three days away just in case they might get close and intermixed. Guys, even if our boss is unfair... We need to remain faithful and trust God to provide. Jacob saw all this happening and he remembered what God had already shown him. I'm going to take care of you. I told you I'm not going to leave you till I brought you back here. You know what? I'm a faithful God. Your boss may try to get over on you. Your father-in-law may lie to you. I'm faithful. Trust me. Not your circumstances. Not him. Amen. Trust the Lord. I was talking to a brother this week. We've been praying together. He's been out of work for a long time. And you know what? God always shows up right on time. And he said, yet again, God showed up right on time. Guys, the economy is crazy, but our God is still faithful. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world around us. We be diligent and trust that God will provide because he is ever faithful. A godly man in the workplace, his actions bring glory to God's name. He points to the Lord as the source of his work's fruitfulness. He works hard and trusts God to provide his boss doesn't always treat him fairly. And finally, God is faithful to provide. Look at the last point here, beginning in verse 37. Now Jacob took for himself rods and gr- of green poplar and of the almond and chestnut trees and peeled white strips in them and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs while the flocks came to drink so they should c- conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. You know, there's a lot of debate about this text. Now, does this mean that because they saw speckles and white streaks in the water, that that's why they had white-streaked animals? I don't think so. But you know what? Let me say this. Jacob had been working in the field. He's now over 90. And he's probably been working with animals for 70 plus years. And it could be that there was a chemical or something, I don't know, something in there that would cause the animals to be stronger, as we're about to see in a few verses, and to you know, produce stronger animals. But in whatever case it may be, we know that from the next chapter, he gives God the glory. You know, we may be diligent, there may be something that God has revealed to us, there may be something that he does, but in the end, God's going to be glorified because God is the one who's bringing the increase. So he does this. And again, he may have learned something back when he was 
back when he was uh, in Canaan and he was you know, taking care of his father's uh, herds and we don't ultimately know. It does say though, there the word conceive means to be hot. And so the, it did cause the animals, at least according to this text, to go into heat so that they would produce more animals in a quicker way. They would reproduce quicker. And so we're going to see that whenever the strong animals would come to the trough, he would then put it in there so they would, ha- they would re- continue to produce stronger animals. And the weak ones would come, he would not put it into the water, as we're going to read in the text. So even though God has promised to provide, he's still being diligent. Do you notice that? Guys, even though God has promised to provide for us, he's not promising, promising to provide for us if we lay ho- home on the sofa and eat bonbons. <laughs> Amen? God says he'll provide. A lazy man will say, there's a lion in the street. There's a lion in the street. I can't go to work today. God's called us to be diligent. And Jacob, though fully armed with God's promise, is being diligent to do what he believes will produce the fruit that God has already promised. Verse 39, so the flocks conceived before the rods. The flocks brought forth streaks, speckled, and spotted. Then Jacob separated the lambs, made the flocks face toward the streak, and all the brown in the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Now, do I fully understand what's going on here? Here's my answer. No. I don't. But I know this much. God's faithful. I know this much. He's doing what he believes God has called him to do. He's being diligent. He's being faithful. And God's blessing it. Guys, may we have that same heart. And then it says, Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants and camels and donkeys. His father-in-law tried to rip him off and God provided. Isn't that amazing? Your boss may try to cheat you on your wages. God will provide. In a few short years, Jacob's flocks grew incredibly. God fulfilled his promise to Jacob to both multiply and bless him and his offspring. God is overpowering Laban's deception. The world can deceive us. The world can cheat us. God's greater. Trust him. Don't fight. Don't argue. Put it in God's hands. We may be treated unfairly, but we must know and trust that God will provide and care for us. We can focus on Laban's, the Laban's in our life, and tell Laban's stories forever, or we can recognize God's faithfulness and provision in the midst of Laban's. Amen? Instead of pointing to our unfair boss, point to how God provides in spite of it. He that is faithful in a little shall be entrusted with more, the Bible says. He had been faithful when his wages were zero, and now God's blessing him as he remains diligent. He that is faithful in that which is another man's shall be entrusted with something of his own. For 14 years, he was faithful with that which did not belong to him, and now God is blessing him. Jacob had been a just servant, and now he's become a rich master. And they often happen in that order. A man who cannot serve is a man who God will never have lead. He needs to be a faithful servant before he can ever 
faithfully serve others. May we each be faithful with that which God has given us. May we serve others to our own harm. May we have an eternal rather than a physical focus. May we long for home and hold lightly to this foreign land. May we learn to trust God completely to fulfill all that he has promised us. Amen? So a godly man in the workplace, his actions bring glory to God's name. He points to the Lord as the source of his work's faithfulness. He works hard and trusts God to provide. His boss doesn't always treat him fairly. And in the end, God is always faithful to provide. And when he does, let's glorify him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you are such a faithful God. We thank you, Lord, for the provision that you have promised to us. Lord, you are so faithful. And Lord, I pray that we would not only thank you for your provision, but Lord, that we would be faithful as you provide, that we would be salt and light in our workplace. Lord, that we would realize it's our mission field. Lord, that we would do our work in a way that bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, that we'd show up early and stay late and work hard and glorify you. Lord, I pray our actions at work would open up a door for us to share the hope of what lies within us. Lord, may our response to the test at work provide a testimony to the world around us. Lord, we just lay our lives at your feet. We thank you for your faithfulness. May you be glorified in our lives. And Lord, give us a whole different perspective about work. Help us to realize, Lord, again, we don't just go witnessing, but we are witnesses wherever we go. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, let's stand and close the worship song.